0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Just Work podcast. It's Hello, me, Kim everyone. Scott, and
1: Ernest Adams.
0: We got some feedback that we just we jumped some- right in, didn't we? You got some, <laughs> like we got the same feedback, which means we yes. were on something. Uh, yes. So let's inter- let's let's back up and introduce each other, so that and try to fantastic. explain what the goal of this podcast is. So <laughs> I'm going to introduce Ernest. Ernest okay. is, well, we should maybe we'll introduce ourselves, but I want to just introduce yeah. how I met you. So okay. Ernest is one, you are one of those people, you know how every once in a while in your career, you meet someone and you're working with them and you just click, you just like yep. talking to them. And for me, uh, I was doing some, some work at a, a previous employer of Ernest and he and I always had great conversations. And, yes. and that was what inspired me to call you up. And ask you to do this with me. So, so, and so, why don't you jump in and?
1: Yeah, well, and I would just say I would um, say thank, thank you for doing that, Kim, um, because this, this has been this has been such a privilege of mine. But but for everyone who doesn't know, Kim is the the the, the world renowned author of both Radical Candor and Just Work, and I found her because of the Radical Candor work. Um, that she had done. And I was in my previous employer looking for uh, someone to come in and do some work with us. And so that is how Kim and I met. And to her point, from the very first conversation we had, number one, she was very, it was very approachable to get to her, which was a, which was something I loved. Um, and then from the moment that we began to the talk, there was a, a lots of kindred spirit uh, happening. So super excited to be here with you, Kim, and and, and share some conversation.
0: And what do you think? Do we need to tell folks where we used to work? Should I explain my background? You want to explain yours?
1: Yeah, we probably should just because it helps to give some credibility.
0: So uh, I don't know that this earns me credibility, but I did three failed startups uh, <laughs> uh, early in my career. And then I started working at Google, and that worked out a lot better than all those failed startups. Uh, I led AdSense, YouTube, and DoubleClick teams at Google. And then I kind of woke up one morning and realized that the thing I really cared about was not cost per click, although that was going pretty well there at Google, but rather the, the opportunity to create a team on which people could do their best work and enjoy working with each other and uh, And there wasn't a job where that was the day job at Google, but <laughs> but uh, Apple University was just starting up, and a professor of mine suggested that I join Apple. So I did that for a couple of years, and then I started writing Radical candor, um, which which I almost didn't publish, and I'm glad I did.
1: Oh my goodness. <laughs>
0: And then we talked last time a little, did we talk about what prompted me to write Just Work? We probably should if we didn't. But Ernest, why yeah. don't you talk, talk a little bit about, uh, you've worked at, you've had an incredible career.
1: Yeah, I've had a great career with some big names that have been super fun. So I've been in human resources now for over, over 20 years. Um, have worked at, started my career with Macy's, um, worked at Johnson & Johnson. I've worked at Nike, uh, Abercrombie & Fitch, uh, Danaher, um, where I spent time in both uh, recruiting as well as diversity, equity, and inclusion. I was their first chief diversity officer uh, for that Fortune 100 company. And then uh, Ralph Lauren most recently, So, uh, where I led talent for, for Ralph Lauren. So has been um, uh, a lot of fun to work for these big branded companies and these big names and really have seen a lot in terms of how you bring diversity, equity, and inclusion to life, um, not just sitting in the seat of d but also in the seat of HR. So-
0: very important because I have I have never been uh, either in HR and and I don't have sort of a, the, the the grounding that you do in DEI. So I'm really glad to be able to to uh, merge our perspectives. Great. So one of the reasons why Ernest and I and Ernest jump in and tell me. You know, if I'm getting this right, but at least yeah. for me, the the idea of doing this podcast together is that the, you know I wrote this book, just work, and I can explain why I wrote this book, just work, at some point. But I wrote this book, just work, about sort of figuring out how to how to disrupt bias, prejudice, and bullying before they disrupt uh, us, mm-hmm. and and. I figured, you know, there's a lot of stuff in the book that that needs more conversation, uh, and also we have this book, so we can like read a little section from the book and then talk about it, and so then we don't have to. Pre- I really hate preparing for things. I like spontaneous. <laughs> that's why we jump right in, right? Exactly. So we, exactly. We can read A little bit of the book and then talk about it. So that's the idea of this podcast.
1: I think it's great, Kim, and I think the other thing I would just add is, you know, being a diversity, equity, and inclusion practitioner, there are a lot of theories books uh, out there but how to put those actually into practice is a whole different ball game and so i think having the opportunity to really discuss it and bring it to life and have people begin to li- dream with us as we're talking through real life examples is is the beauty of this because people can now think about and not just dei practitioners but anybody can listen and say yeah. ah i've had that experience i see myself there maybe next time i'll think about it in a slightly different way because i now have different language or have different context.
0: yeah or i'll as the chapter that we're uh, the beginning of the chapter we're about to read is called what to say when you don't know what to say <laughs> and so i want yes. to i never want to give anyone a script because you know you know if you sound like me you're not going to sound like yourself but right. i want to uh, hope that w- we can help people figure out what to say in these moments because it's hard to know what to it say it's very
1: hard it's very hard yeah
0: um and and it's it's hard you know, let's also cut ourselves some slack if we don't know what to say too.
1: <laughs> exactly. All right. You exactly. think
0: that you think now we've set contacts for people, should we jump in or or is there I more think mistakes? we I think
1: we have and I will tell everyone listening, hey, if you have more feedback to us, bring it. We love bring to hear it. On. it so that it, bring, it on. bring it on so the next one will will get better. Um it will continue to evolve. So appreciate you listening and we love the feedback. So
0: Yes, we do. And in fact, I also want to let people listening know that I'm doing an edit of Just Work for the paperback. I'm soon going to be a paperback writer. And so your feedback will make it into the next version of the book. Excellent. All right. So so what I want to, and I'm going to read today, even though I got feedback that people hate my voice too bad. <laughs>
1: um,
0: <laughs> I'm going you to take read feedback three.
1: so well, Kim. You <laughs> take feedback really well. <laughs>
0: You you can give me some pointers on doing better next time. But the reason is because it's a story that is from my personal life. So Mm -hmm. Ernest and I decided I would would read it. So I'm going to read just a couple of pages, and then we'll have a conversation. So this is from the beginning of Chapter 1, which is for people who've been harmed. And this chapter is called What to Say When You Don't Know What to Say. And it begins with a quote from Audre Lorde. Your silence will not protect you. The poet, Claudia Rankin, am I saying her last name correctly? Do you know?
1: I don't know. And it's funny you say that because I was going to ask you.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, someone will give us some feedback. Uh, The poet, Claudia Rankin, expresses the disorientation and discomfort of realizing that someone is incorrectly assuming things about you based on a stereotype. Here's a quote from, this, uh, fr- from her work. What did he just say? Did she really just say that? Did I hear what I think I heard? Did that just come out of my mouth, his mouth, your mouth? The moment stinks. Then the voice in your head silently tells you to take your foot off your throat because just getting along shouldn't be an ambition. I think about that quote probably 10 times a day. Uh, It's it's something that really moves me. Okay, so I'm going to keep reading now and stop commenting. My goal (laughs) is to help you make a conscious decision about how or if to respond. It's tempting to default to silence in these moments, but defaulting to silence can rob you of your sense of agency. Sometimes you may decide to remain silent, and that's your right. But make a proactive choice. If you decide not to respond, feel good about it you get to choose your battles. If you decide it's worth it to respond, you may not know what to say. What follows are some stories to help build a shared understanding of how difficult these moments can be and how some, I- and some ideas, sorry, I do not read out loud very well, and some ideas that might help make it easier to find the words you need. This story is called Mr. Safety Pin. I was just about to give a radical candor talk to the founders and executives of some of Silicon Valley's hottest startups. A couple hundred men were at the conference. I was one of only a handful of women. Just as I was about to go on stage, one of these men ran up to me. I need a safety pin, he hissed. He was clutching at his shirt front. A button had popped off. Evidently, he assumed that I was on the event staff team. To prevent this very confusion, the conference organizers had given the event staff bright yellow t-shirts. I was wearing an orange sweater, but all he could notice was his need and my gender. I didn't know what to say. He was utterly certain that it was my job to help him find a safety pin. I wanted to believe that his assumption about me stemmed from unconscious bias, not a federal offense. Most of us have made an incorrect assumption about another person's role based on some personal attribute. These moments are as embarrassing as they are common. It was a classic, sorry, I don't work here moment. But what if I explained to him, I need to prepare for my talk right now so I can't help you out. And he replied something along along the lines of, oh, you must be the radical candor lady. I don't believe in that soft feminine leadership bullshit. Unlikely, But that kind of thing has happened to me more than once. If my attempt at a courteous response prompted him to reveal a conscious prejudice against women, it would piss me off and that would make it harder for me to focus on my talk. Then there was a third possibility, bullying. What if I corrected him and he escalated, saying something like, hey, lady, no need to get your panties all in a wad. Again, unlikely, but alas, not impossible. (laughs) Such things have been said to me more than once. Then I'd go on stage roiling mad and knocked off my game. There was another confounding factor here beyond gender. The man assumed he had a right to be rude to the people staffing the event. Perhaps when he realized I was a speaker, not a staffer, he would snap into polite mode. But that wouldn't fix anything. Talking to anyone the way he had talked to me was not okay. All this felt like too much for me to deal with in the moments before I walked on stage. So I said nothing, and the man stomped off, evidently wondering why I was refusing to do my job, muttering something about complaining to the event organizers about the unhelpful staff. It was hard to know what to say because I didn't know whether it was bias, prejudice, or bullying behind the comment. Also, it was hard to know what my role was. I was the person harmed since a comment was directed at me I was the leader since I was the speaker, or was not I an upstander for the staff? In retrospect, my silence was bad for everyone, bad for the staff, bad for me because I hadn't lived in accordance with my own beliefs, and even bad for Mr. Safety Pin because by not pointing out his bias, if that's what was behind his request, I was making it more likely that he'd repeat his mistake. All right, so that's the story. What do you make of yeah. it?
1: Well, I mean, first, thanks for thanks for putting that out there because I had lots of reflections as I read that. Um, I had a very similar experience, Kim, when I used to lead university recruiting for Nike. I would call, particularly the top tier MBA programs. I would call yeah. the schools' career mm-hmm. services teams, and then I would show up on campus several weeks later yeah. on the day side schedule. And it 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 every single one of them, I would walk into the career services team and I would say, "I'm Ernest Adams," and they would say, "You're not Ernest Adams." <laughs> or they would look they or they would look really surprised uh-huh. that I was Ernest Adams.
0: They would literally nope. say you're not Ernest Adams?
1: L- literally. They would say it to me, oh and then they God. would look surprised. Probably about a year, it was after my first recruiting season. It was probably into my second recruiting season when I began to develop deep relationships with some of these people. I asked, do you remember back when, when I first came in and you said I wasn't Ernest Adams or you looked so surprised? And it was, we were out for drinks and someone said, yeah, I do remember. And I said, where did that come from? And they said, uh-huh. well, on the, phone, you, on the phone, you don't sound like a black man.
0: Wow. So they admitted it.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, you know, a couple of drinks had been had <laughs> and, 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 and we got to a place of honesty. And then I began to really understand. And it made perfect sense to me in that moment where number one, my name sometimes can be very, it's non-race oriented. Yeah. And then secondly, you know, people talking to me on the phone sometimes say, um, and so that was, that was a really interesting moment for me. Where I began to then understand, when I see that shocked look on someone's face when I introduce yeah. myself after they've talked to me, do I immediately address it,
0: yeah. and say
1: I see the look on your face and yes I'm black, yeah. or do yeah. I just let it slide? Or when should that come up in the in the relationship dynamic of yeah. knowing someone? And I think the biggest thing that strikes me with that Kim is the is the emotional tax that yeah. the person who, who who hears the comment has to immediately deal with and carry. So now I got a process. Do I want to address this? When do I want to deal with it? How do I want to deal with it? Will it damage the relationship? So many different factors that go through your mind there.
0: Yeah. And I'm so sorry. I mean, you should not have to tiptoe through the tulips of someone else's bias, right? Yes. And yes. yet, that you know, you have to worry about how they'll respond when you correct their mistake.
1: Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah, Yeah, and, and what's interesting is what I found is that I am much more in tune now. Fast forward many years later, I find that I address these things much more so in my professional life than I do in my mm-hmm. personal life. Yeah. Um, because- so how, do
0: you, how would you deal with it now if you walked in and someone said, you're not earnest at it? Like, how would you deal yeah. with that now?
1: Yeah, first, let me recognize that that the first thing that goes through my mind is a recognition of my privilege that I have now for being in mm-hmm. a senior level position inside of organizations, being yeah. a senior le- senior level gay black man. Yeah. I have privilege that says that I need to make sure that those black LGBTQIA plus folks who are coming behind me yeah. don't have to deal with what I'm dealing with. And so yeah. the privilege to be able to say something and to be yeah. able to the responsibility to be able to say something, I carry that very heavily. And yeah. it is something that's very important to me. So I don't think I, it's important, I don't. it's not a burden, because Mm -hmm. on the other side of it there's a lot of there's a lot of perks that come along with this so now i think i would i say to people all the time i was like i see the look on your face and yes i'm black you know i just i just i I, I just i just put it out there and i just address it because i don't it's not my burden to carry i want to give you back your burden your burden to process through and so let me just transfer that immediately you know
0: that is really good and what do people how do people respond
1: you know it depends it depends on whether I can, if I'm in the deep South, sometimes people will look at me in a state of shock. Yeah. Um, but, but what I will say is, you know, depending on where people are in their own journeys, some people are embarrassed, are incredibly embarrassed. Mm-hmm. Oh, I would have never thought that. And then I asked, well, what was that look on your face about? Right. It was so, because yeah. it, it, obviously something caught you off guard. Yeah. So I want to know what caught you off guard, you yeah. know?
0: And so. I think what's coming up for me as you're telling the story is how, Deeply ingrained these people's biases are that they would say yes. that they would say to you, "You've just said yes. I'm earnest," and they would just say, "I was expecting a white man, so I am going to tell you, you're not like that's ridiculous." hundred
1: percent. You know something.
0: Something similar happened to me one time. I was I was going. Um, I was on a board of directors, and we were that mm-hmm. uh, they had chartered a plane for us to fly to the board meeting. Okay. And I was the only woman on the board. And so we were sitting in the like little waiting area for the chartered plane. It, talk, this is a story of privilege. I'm going to just. Yeah, I was going to say talk about privilege, right? <laughs> um, so we're in a little waiting area and the pilot comes out and he says, I don't have, he points at me and he says, I don't have you on the manifest. And I said, why not? Uh, you know i i, I was confirmed confer- and then i said let me see the manifest and i said i'm kim scott and he said no you're not kim scott it was similar kind of thing yeah yeah and he said i didn't have any women on the manifest and i'm like you have kim scott i'm kim scott i'll show <laughs> you my ID." <laughs> it took me pulling out my id and showing to him wow before he was like oh and then he said, oh, I didn't think there were any women on, <laughs> you know, but he was wow. so that I didn't belong on the plane, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. It was, yeah. It, was
0: it was really, and he evinced no embarrassment whatsoever.
1: No, yeah. I mean, like I said, I think it depends on where that person is in, in understanding and recognizing you, you just, you did something here. You apologize for your privilege, Kim, which I would say back to you, there's no apology needed because I think you own privilege. And you have you you give back to people through your writing, through your talks to really break down those barriers. And to me, that is the responsibility that goes along with privilege. So I just wanted to recognize that also that I, you know, I, I think if you were a person I was sitting here talking to who is who, who does not do any of that stuff, I think the apology would be necessary. But
0: yeah, you know. well, I mean, I guess flying private pollutes the earth like maybe. <laughs>
1: You know, There's that part. There's that no, part. Yes. That.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not yeah, just privilege. I get it's like, uh, carbon, my carbon, yeah. flip, not small that day.
1: That part I understand. Yes. Yeah. Yes.
0: Yeah.
1: But, 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 you know, it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's a really interesting piece because I, I just, I reflect on that and I think, you know, sometimes like, you know, when, when you're on vacation and you check into, I mean, the other place I get it a lot is people not thinking I'm gay
0: Mm -hmm. Because
1: I can quote unquote pass um, as masculine, which is now we're getting to a whole bunch of gender stereotypes around LGBTQIA plus people. And, you know, my my husband and I talk about this a lot that there's times when we just um, it, it baffles us that people still to this day say, oh, you guys can't be a couple because you're both too too masculine men and i'm like what is what does that even mean right like, <laughs> there's such a spectrum but but it, it it is you know like we're we're on vacation sometimes he'll so look at me and i'll look at him and i'm like are we going to address this are we not going to address this I'm, I'm i'm continually struck by again the emotional tax that comes along with this and i think it's completely appropriate for people to say i don't want to deal with that today i don't yeah. want to deal with that now that's how you talked about that in the book i don't want to deal with that right now because i don't want to let that bring me down Yeah. Right. And I and I and I think the recognition of our humanity in that to be able to say sometimes I want to teach, sometimes I don't want to teach. Yeah. And that is our right to be able to do so.
0: Yeah, I think that's really important. And and some feedback I got on this chapter is that I was I was sort of it it tilts in the balance of speaking up. It's encouraging Mm. people to speak up. But I but I totally agree with you. You do not. You get to choose. If yes. you think about the four different roles that 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 I tried to structure the book around, when yes. you are the person harmed, you get to choose whether or not you respond, because right. it is a burden. It's exhausting. It's totally exhausting. But yes. when you're the leader, you don't get to choose. So, so yeah. for example, there's there's another story later in the book. I um, one of the people who worked for me when I was at Google. Uh, was Russ Laraway and mm-hmm. when he first started and Russ is a person who I like and respect enormously and when yeah. he first started working for me he I noticed that he referred to the women on his team as girls and <laughs> I am sick of having that conversation yes. <laughs> about me too. And, uh, yeah
1: I'm not even a woman and I and I'm sick of, yeah. ha- of, of of informing people don't say girls on your team yeah
0: yeah and so <laughs> yes. I didn't I didn't immediately correct him but it I generally do like other people on the team had heard me give that, but for whatever reason, I didn't immediately do it. And so, fast forward a couple of weeks, and Russ was having his first meeting with my boss, who was Cheryl Sandberg. Mm. <laughs> and, <laughs> and when Russ went in and talked to her, believe me, she did not hold back. <laughs> she told, and he, and he came into my office, and there were two two other two other men in my office who, who I had worked with for a long time, and Russ was kind of pale. He was like, why didn't you tell me, Kim? And <laughs> and I sort of, I kind of, I mean, I'm ashamed really of how I responded. I kind of was like, oh, it's no big deal. Like how many times have people said that? So now I played the it's no big deal game right. for Russ. But Russ looked at me and he said, you know what, Kim, I would say when your boss's boss chews you out for 20 minutes, it is a big deal, actually. And yeah. so, I, and but again, it was my, what I should have done is apologize. But instead, I just looked at the other two guys in my office and I was like, aren't you all glad I've told you this so many times? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and yeah what's
0: just like, what about me? you know and and yeah. so in that case as a leader, it was my job to prevent him from getting in that situation
1: that, that's that's true, but yeah that, that's true. I completely agree with that. you know and it's it is I think but what the the human side of this sometimes is, you know what I'm gonna let that person say that to someone who I know is gonna react in a very different way than I would, because maybe that lesson helps them understand. I, I'm not saying that's what you did in that situation, yeah. but yeah. but I can say that I've I've been some may call that calculated, some may call that, but yeah. but I do know that there's times that I want some other people to share the burden. Yeah. Because yeah. because I get tired. I get yeah. tired.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I think when when you and I are in the role of the person who's being harmed. I yes. think that is totally, totally legit. But I was Russ's boss. Like it was yeah. my job to protect him uh, from, yeah. from himself.
1: <laughs> it was yeah. my job to yeah. give him
0: the feedback. Whereas, you know, if you're checking into a hotel, it is not your job to educate the, uh, <laughs> the clerk <laughs> on, on yes. how things are.
1: A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah, I, I, I get that. I think, I think the role of the leader, again, I think this goes back to, you know, comment I made earlier. There's a different level of responsibility that comes along with that. Right. You have to be an upstander. You have to you have to defend. You have to make sure that the the others around you um, are aware of what's happening and what they're doing.
0: Yeah. So but again, when you're the person who's being harmed and not in the role of leader, you get to like sort of calculate your own ROI. What's the return Mm -hmm. on investment to me of correcting this thing? And and one of the things that I have learned is that if I default to silence then I start to feel a sense of helplessness Mm. and I lose a sense of agency. And so Mm. I guess one of the things I'm trying to say, I'm not sure I said it clear enough in the book is try to decide, make a proactive choice. Am I going to deal with this or am I I not going to deal with it? And if you don't deal with it, feel good. Like, ha, I've liberated myself from dealing with this thing for the day. If you do decide to deal with it, like, Put it it's work, it's work to deal with it. and the why do we do work? We're not hopefully coerced to do work, although sometimes mm-hmm. it feels like we are. But we do work because we get more out of it than we put into it.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, you know I, I actually thought about this, Kim, when I was reading the book in that chapter, and I would say that this is also where I think intersectionality is really interesting, a really yeah. interesting point, right? As a white woman, you may have more choice more times you can choose yes to not step yeah. in right as a as a as a black gay man i think that limits my time i think through black women or black gay women yeah. i think that th- the more intersections that you have i think the shorter the amount of time that you have to actually be able to say i'm going to choose to address or not address
0: yeah.
1: because it could be more egregious and they come more frequently yeah. um, as you have those intersectional dimensions and i think that, that is that again speaks to the, the, the weight of carrying um, of carrying this and of people not recognizing that when you have those intersectional dimensions, you're getting it from all sides.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're getting it coming and going. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's really, really important. And I think also as a as a white woman, it is often safer for me to yes. uh, to say something. So so that that, and and like that makes it way easier, like not just a little easier. Like it 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 happens less frequently and it's safer Mm -hmm. for me to respond. And and that if if you sort of if I were more quantitative, I'd try to I'd try to do some I'd try to create an equation. But I would say it's probably, you know, if you have one intersection, it's probably it's probably, you know. 10 times easier than if you have two. And if you have three, you know. I, I agree with first. you,
1: because because what, what you don't hear about white women a lot is the term aggressive or, or and, and I think where black women may get that a lot more yeah. when they speak up, right? And they're not being aggressive. They're standing up for yeah. themselves <laughs> and people. Y- yes, 100%, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So the risk now comes when yeah. I stand up for this and I address this, now I'm gonna be labeled as X. Yeah. Simply because I was pointing out to someone else where they were, they caused harm to me, Yeah, you know? And yeah. I think, I think that's a really challenging dynamic for people. Um, and, and I don't think there's enough empathy that goes around for people to truly understand what that situation really feels like.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, it's absolutely the truth. I'll be called abrasive. Yes. You know, whereas, <laughs> whereas black woman sitting next to me, speaking more gently than I am, will be called angry you know,
1: angry um,
0: or, you know, something worse. And yeah. yeah, And so it's, it's really important to, to acknowledge that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a tough one because I I remember very many instances of working with black women and and black men throughout my career um, when they get the label of aggressive or angry Mm -hmm. and, you know, it's, it's really challenging because that has been given to black people as as black people are angry and aggressive and a lot of times i say like we can't internalize that that is someone else's stuff being given to us that is not our stuff and we have to reject that and that's again easy for me to say when i'm sitting in a coach position in a position of power to someone who is actually being harmed by the language and either their career has the potential to be significantly um stalled or something other than but i think that is something that is a really important conversation to have when you think about this. And again, it speaks to all of the all of the cross sections between power and privilege and being an upstander and being harmed. I mean, these things are so complex as you begin to unpack them. Yeah.
0: And yet at the same time, if we can figure out sort of how to say something in the moment, yes, then then we begin to solve the problem just like a little bit at a time agreed And agreed. Uh, and and it's like uh, it's like a, a I have long hair so it's like a tangle in hair like you if you, yeah. if you start brushing from the bottom and you get the little ones out before you get like but if you start from the top you wind up with it so I think that's why sometimes just like the purple flag that we talk that we've talked about yes. the bias disruptors are so important
1: absolutely I mean it's it's I think I've talked about this before my coach tells me all the time either you pay it now or you pay it later with interest Yes. Right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so addressing it in that moment is, it really is the, the the time to do so. But a lot of times we have to regulate and monitor our own emotions Yeah. in those moments and cycle through very rapidly being upset, hurt, angry, so that we can get to a point of being able to articulate it. But you know what, Kim? Sometimes you got to express it with all the emotion.
0: Yeah, you can't, you can't, if you try yeah. to, av- like, if something is enraging, waiting till you're no longer enraged to address, you're going to be waiting Dead a work. long time. The, exactly. the, other, the other thing that I have that I have found is that I'll go into this silence and rage cycle. Mm. So someone mm-hmm. says something. I don't say anything, I'm silent. And then they say it again. And like what was annoying becomes a little more annoying. And then they say it again. And and by the time I get to rage when I'm when I am finally gonna say something, like now I'm gonna explode yeah. in a way that yeah. in retrospect I don't feel proud of. And so now I have to be angry at this other person and also angry at myself. And it's like that's yeah. paying it with interest, as your coach said.
1: A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And I think that is getting to the you know, again, it's free, to, it's privilege to be able to say, I'm going to address it upfront all the time because yeah. there's a lot of instances, particularly in the workplace, where the people being harmed are at a more junior level or at a more, yeah. or, you know, th- than the person who's causing the harm. And so, you know, it, it's a lot to consider there. And unfortunately, a lot of times, some of my HR peers are not always equipped to be able to coach people through those situations. And so I'm happy that you and I are discussing this because it gives people an opportunity to really think and reflect how might I handle this? So the next time it comes up, I'll be able to, to address it. Yeah.
0: I also just want to give I love so much being in my middle 50s because <laughs> it is like life is easier. It was so much yeah. harder. So for all of yeah. you young folks out here listening, it gets better. I promise it, it does. really does get better. Hang in there. It, do-
1: it does. It does. I said this to my mom actually today. I said, I'm I'm really happy to be in my mid 40s because the the experiences that I've had now yeah, I would not have addressed some of these things the same way when I, when I was in my 20s. Now, yeah. having said that, I wish I had the the stamina and the energy yeah. <laughs> that I had when I was in my 20s. Yeah. Yes. yes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. Well, on that note, I want to thank everybody for tuning in, listening, and thank you, Ernest. As always, I learned so much from you.
1: It's great, Kim. Looking forward to the next one. And again, thanks to everyone for listening and looking forward to your comments.
0: Take care.